This is the Degressio Podcast of Roman Roads Press, helping Christian families inherit the humanities. I'm Cooper Salmon, and I'm here with my co-host, Daniel Fugashan, founder of Roman Roads. Great to be here. And joining us in the studio today is Tim Griffith, fellow of classical languages at New St. Andrews College and the inventor of the Latin, the Picta Dicta Latin curriculum. Thanks for having me. So, Tim, Latin is a subject very commonly taught in classical schools, and it's uh, been around for a while, but why do we teach it? I mean, after all, it is a dead language, right? Right. I like to think of it more as an undead language. Ah, (laughs) The zombie language. Well, it's back. (laughs) But um, yeah, the why Latin question is, of course, the big question. Why? 2000 years later, are we still studying Latin? And uh, the truth is, it's a really difficult question to answer uh, succinctly. Everyone wants the 10 second answer to it. But in reality, um, Latin is really so good for so many things. It really helps you in your education in such a broad way that it's difficult to explain it in 15 seconds. So uh, one of the ways I like to do it is turn it back on the uh, the person who's interested in studying Latin or not interested and say, you know, what is it that you're really interested in getting out of your education? What is it you want to be able to mm. do? And um, And then I help them understand how Latin would help them get there, which is not always obvious, but right. there are actually some really uh, convincing – uh, reasons why it does. So what would you say are are the most common answers? So I I I think I would know what I would say there, um, having been uh, very possibly influenced by uh, being around you, though. What is the most common answer to when you ask that question back? What you know, what, why do you want to learn Latin or what do you want to get out of it? Well, that's just the thing is it's just as diverse as the as the students who are studying it um, yeah. or the parents who are looking into it. So somebody might say, well, you know, I, I want to be a doctor when I grow up and I'd say, well, um, Latin is the basis for 80% of the technical vocabulary in English. And by learning a small body of, um, vocabulary in Latin, you've actually prepared yourself to know tens of thousands of words in English. Right. And, um, so that's one way also the attention to detail that you really learn in, in a subject like Latin really transfers over to the sort of thing that somebody would need if they want to go on and be a doctor. Um, so that's a very specific one. Right. Um, yeah. So, so what, what would they, um, um, what if a parent says, I've heard this classical school is great. They teach Latin, but it, to my mind, it's a dead or undead language. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I don't know why I should take it. You know what? Right. Well, um, uh, how would you perhaps uh, um, form? Um, how would you answer that question? And and given that there are so many answers, um, what's your go-to in order to say? Uh, are there questions you would then ask to figure out what they are actually don't know they want? Oh, right. So you know, I'd say, well, what is it you want your kid to gain by going to uh, a school? What is it you want them to come mm. out with? And if they say, well, I want them to be able to follow an argument and think clearly, which mm-hmm. would be a great answer. Right, right. Um, <laughs> it's a super useful skill these days. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Needed now more than ever. The Very much. I'd say, well, you know, particularly once you get to the mid and higher levels of studying Latin, you are doing some of the best exercise you can in exegesis and following an argument. What exactly is being said and what is not being said? And you're being given the tools, um, grammatical and um, grammatical tools to understand um, exactly how to interpret what is being said. Sound like a useful skill? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and how does Latin do that specifically? Because, you know, when you say that, for example, if I'm that parent, I would say, oh, I saw there was a logic curriculum. So right. what, what does Latin do that logic, uh, where does Latin fit into that in a, in a particular way? Right. So um, logic is great. I'm not, 
I'm not dissing logic, um, <laughs> but logic really is, especially how it's taught in schools, is focusing on deductive logic. So it's a clean and tidy system in which um, here's a proposition, right? What does this proposition necessarily um, mean? Mm-hmm. And that's useful. The problem is that in real life, um, it's a lot messier than that. So if you're reading, um, if somebody's making um, an argument, politics or yeah. or something like that, um, it's not going to be a simple matter of here are some propositions, here are some uh, things mm-hmm. that follow the necessary conclusions. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean that's um, that's not the way it really works. In reality, you have to see um, how the language is working. What are the assumptions and all of that sort of thing going into mm-hmm. it? What is being insinuated um, mm-hmm. and all of that? And uh, um, uh, yeah. when you when you study something like Latin, um, particularly at the mid and upper levels, you're going to take a small amount of text that's actually quite difficult and mm-hmm. quite complicated and convoluted in many uh, cases about things that matter, politics, yeah. literature, theology, what have you. Um and you're going to look at it really closely and um, see how that argument works, discuss it as a class. Mm. And there are objective right and wrong answers. Right. Um, so what uh, studying a language like Latin really does is it allows you to, um, you're still using objective rules, right? but it Grammar. actually is more like real life in that it, um, is dealing with the messiness of reality mm. and language. Oh, yeah. yeah. Some text and context. Mm. And um, in other words, uh, some of the pitfalls of the uh, freshly graduated logic student is that he turns the whole world into black and white and mm. takes these n- newly acquired tools and, and has a, uh, um, a simplistic view of the world. So you're saying mm. Latin basically uh, mm. teaches some of those logic skills but teaches the art of nuance and context along with it it, it does and messiness yeah. um and uh, <laughs> just, let me just give you an example i mean you know right. reading you know it's it's language it has a purpose it had a meaning um it's not whatever the author and it, it means to you and yet mm. uh, we can understand language even in english has all kinds of nuance especially right. if it's poetry so logic tends to deal with laws Whereas language tends to deal with trends. Mm. Okay. So this is true mostly, but there's some exceptions <laughs> and that's actually how a lot of Guy reality finds. is. Um, and so uh, it, it helps in that respect. But let me give you an example. Um, a few years ago, this is really encouraging for me, but a few years ago um, I was asked to lead a Bible study through um, some of the Psalms Um with some uh, group of people. And I had a couple students, former students by about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had other students, uh, other, other not students, but people that had, I'd never taught. And um, as we were discussing what the Psalm meant in English, right. just reading mm-hmm. through it in English, talk mm-hmm. about what it meant. I was really impressed with how these former students of mine really latched onto but what does he really mean when he uses the word such and such? Mm. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the others, it was kind of an assumption right. um, that per- it meant what immediately occurred to them. Perhaps they looked it up in Logos Bible software or a concordance and were looking for the definition. Mm. Um, I mean, is that a sort of, I mean, in other words, I'm not saying that those are bad tools, but right. there is a, there is a, um, perhaps a, um, a skill of looking at the language, not just in the rule sense, but in the nuance sense. So context, one way of looking at it is um, most subjects um, really uh, lend themselves to either tree people or forest people. Hmm. Um, People who obsess on the details and the particulars and the mechanics or people who see the general flow of things. Right. Um, uh, studying a, a classical language like Latin forces you to go back and forth between the two. 
Mm-hmm. You have to say, well, the particulars of this sentence are are suggesting that it means this, but I understand the flow of the conversation here. It can't have actually meant that. It mm-hmm. must mean this other thing. And um, it allows you to um, deal with high-level interpretation problems. And mm-hmm. honestly, when you're dealing with uh, – this is something that – I think is one of the most useful skills you could have today is yeah. understanding what people are actually saying. Um, In yeah. other words, this is one of those liberal arts, soft skills that will never be outsourced to computers. Mm. Precisely. Mm. <laughs> couldn't have said it better. <laughs> if, if I can play the devil's advocate just a little bit. So what you're saying is that the study of the Latin language forces students to really dive deep into meaning and context and be able to really understand what a sentence says. Is there any distinctive part of the Latin language, the language of the Roman Empire particularly? Um, is that does, does Latin do that better than some other language, say Spanish? Is there you know, is there anything unique about this language? Could could you get some of this? Could you get all the same benefits from studying a air quotes more practical language like Spanish or Mandarin or something like that? Right. Well, um, I actually have seen examples of people who have developed these uh, skills through languages like Spanish and Mandarin. So when I get students who know a foreign language mm. and have done it right, um, mm. I can see that they've already developed some of the very same skills that I'm working with. Um, and uh, at that point, my job is to take them further. That said, um, there are some very unique things about something like Latin. Spanish is a modern language. The Spanish language doesn't really uh, explain the world in a drastically different way than other modern languages. Mm. And there are some exceptions to that. So if you looked at, say, Mandarin, Mandarin really does cut up the world in a way that is drastically different from English or or Spanish. But Spanish is, it's a European modern language. Um, More or less, it's it's going to uh, view the world and describe the world in a way that is compatible with a modern language view of uh, seeing things when you study an ancient language you are confronted with a drastically different way to view the world Hmm. and um so uh for instance just yesterday i had this uh conversation with uh, one of my classes we we ran to the latin word for insolence Hmm. and in a modern context insolence is something that is shown from an inferior towards a superior you're ignoring right. custom um so you could imagine um you know someone like lady catherine de burr saying what insolence right, right. you're not treating me <laughs> with the respect that you ought right however um from a roman point of view it was actually more often used of a superior towards an inferior huh. they actually viewed insolence as a uh, ignoring of custom, of the respect, customary respect of a superior towards an inferior. Really? So almost exactly the opposite. Huh. Right. And it isn't exclusively like that, but more often than uh, it, looking through the examples of where they use that word, it goes the other direction. So what happens is words and concepts shift over time. When you can look at an ancient language, you're actually, um, it's an intellectual history and you can rewind the tape and be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. How did we get where we are right now? It constantly raises these questions and you think, interesting. We only think of respect, at least in that word. It seems like we think of respect as an upward thing, right? but Hmm. yet, they're treating it as a downward thing. Right. And you think, oh, okay, maybe they have a point. Right. And, um, and I think it's very much in terms of station. You know, that is not your, you know, insolence, the word insolence. Um, You're trying to st- get, be above your station. Right, right. Yeah. And yet it's the opposite. Ah, okay. Interesting. Well, so it's, it, it, in some ways, it's almost like um, making kind of a, a literature connection. Of course, you can learn things from reading new books, but studying the old books 
gives you a new context, a new, you know, broadens your horizons in a different way. Right. The, you know, to go back to some of the reasons, you know, I was saying, you know, what are the common reasons and all that? Um, the, uh, what, if you were to ask me why learn Latin, um, uh, the, the very shortest and obvious shortest way, and obviously it needs unpacking is I would say, because we're Romans, um, which kind of connects to, to, to some of that it's, you won't learn. I'm not Chinese. I'm not, you know, I'm, right. I'm not connected to that. Um, as an American, as a Westerner, uh, as a European, in my case, <laughs> I'm, uh, uh, um, the, the, I, uh, part of that answer comes from creating an you know, old Western culture, those, you know, the humanities in, in, in a more general sense. I, that's why I would give as the primary reason for Latin, um, is, um, you want to unpack that a little bit? Cause you sure. had said that that's one of the, the, um, you had mentioned previously, that was one of the answers you like to hear. Um, how is studying, uh, Latin, um, particular to the cultural history of Americans. Right. So um, if you look at English as our mother tongue, Mm -hmm. what's our grandmother tongue? Yeah. Well, it's Latin. Um, And what's really interesting about a language kind of going back to what I was just talking about is every word kind of has a little bit of a philosophy of the world baked into it. Like I was talking about with the word insolence. Right. Um, And it it actually occurs with even the most concrete words. Um, uh, You know, even animal species, they'll have one word and there's something about the way they use that word that kind of describes, you know, it shows you how they view the world. Learning a language like Latin is like listening to your grandmother talk. Um, Mm. And, you know, it's your own heritage and getting their viewpoint. But again, it goes back way further. So um, you frequently can see what is said when you read something in translation, but right. you miss how it was said. And it's, it's a bit shocking when you actually experience it, um, the difference. Right. Uh, oftentimes, you'll hear something in English, like a little uh, proverb or something like that, and you think, okay, you know, I've heard that before. But you read it in an ancient language, another language, and right. you suddenly are like, oh, whoa, that's deep. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Something about it. And so. Asterix in English is just not as good as yeah. Asterix in French. <laughs> <laughs> Asterix in Latin is pretty good. Um, <laughs> well, Asterix in French has a good bit of Latin <laughs> because the original audience, they were learning Latin in school. Mm, so. Fantastic. <laughs> the, um, so the. Uh, yeah, so you know, to answer that question, you are learning the language of Western culture. Yeah. And by learning the language, you're also um, learning how a long tradition of people have thought about almost any given thing. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a lot more than simply facts from history. We're not just talking about what happened over the last 2,000 years. We're talking about how they thought about pretty much anything. Right. Right. So, um, you wrote an article called the mass extinction that no one is talking about or nobody's talking about. Um, and, uh, in that article, you are, um, talking about some of these things, but you particularly are, uh, talking about a certain loss, um, that an entire generation is facing really for the first time in history and how it relates to Latin. Um, Tell me about the mass extinction sure. that nobody is talking about. Right. But we're going to talk about. Right. So, you know, the, the whole idea with that article was um, people talk about mass extinctions of species. Right. Um, and you can see evidence that there are, were times when there were uh, a lot of species and then they disappear. Right. And um, people argue that right now species are disappearing. Um, right. I think both uh, flora and fauna um, at an unprecedented rate because of the industrial revolution and just the way things have changed in the world. Well, the idea was, isn't that also happening with our words? So for example, if you look at old literature, much of old literature is 
um, assuming some familiarity with agrarian lifestyle. You grew up on the farm, right? Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. And that's mm-hmm. true of Greek literature. It's true of right. Roman literature. It's true of the Bible. Um, yeah. And it's true of pretty much everything since um, that there's this assumption, you know, about things like that. And, um, and so when uh, they're making metaphors um, or uh, discussing something, they use the terminology of the farm to explain it. Right. Well, increasingly kids, kids these days don't even, (laughs) um, I'm sounding like that guy. Um, the, uh, they don't know this vocabulary anymore. Yeah. Um, they, you've told me some pretty striking examples in right. your own class. Um, uh, I won't mention, to, yeah, I won't, no I won't, names. I won't mention names, <laughs> but, um, an example of this is, um, uh, we're reading a Latin passage that, uh, used the Latin word aries. Um, and, the explanation for aries in the in the Latin uh, in the text we were reading was basically a uh, a male sheep. That's right. what an aries is. And a student um, said, "Oh, oh, a male sheep. You mean a goat?" <laughs> um, and I said, "No, a male sheep." And he said, yeah, a male sheep, a goat. And um, I said, dude. As someone who has had both a sheep and a goat, raised both a sheep and a goat at my time, they are not the same. No, they are not. Said, very, very wrong answer, but I see where you got that. Uh, the, the word you're looking for, I think, is ram. And he was like, what? I always thought a goat was a male sheep. And I said, well, what did you think that the Bible was talking about when it said separating the uh, people, the, the sheep and the goats? I mean, I guess you got some pretty weird theology. These have highly um, theological <laughs> implications. Study sure. your Latin, people. Yeah, right. So anyway, what ends up happening or is a farmer. even when people are reading Eng- uh, English translations of the Bible or yeah. of any ancient text, this is what's happening. They're reading along. And they understand it, and then they hear a word, and they're like, uh, goat, animal, I don't know about. Yeah. Sheep, fuzzy idea, okay? Which seems absurd, but apparently it can happen. <laughs> um, uh, and, um, you know, another example of that would be, um, so gemstones typically don't, have as much importance as they did historically in metals. Right. Um, so what happens is you're reading the old Testament or something like that. And they're mentioning some of these gems and these are places um, where, or at least in, in uh, Greco Roman literature, there are places where it's supposed to be really exciting. You know, is this description of this and he is this awesome sword. Right. <laughs> and you read it and you think, Oh, okay. It's got, jasper and set into the hilt first of all i'm not sure what a hilt is and (laughs) second of all i don't know what a jasper is yeah i'm just going to move on and so what ends up happening is slowly as these words disappear from our experience in our language we are losing the ability to appreciate them and it's creating a a wall between us and the literature that is uh, many ways defines who we are so we don't have understanding, but also when you don't understand it, uh, not even if it's not a, something that's absolutely essential to understanding the primary part of the text, you don't connect to it as well. You know, if if um, one of the the uh, I don't remember the exact um, I don't remember the author's name, but I believe it was entitled "A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23," but it was a book walking through Psalm 23 from someone who had spent years as a shepherd, and it was kind of amazing to see the psalm. Uh, Psalm 23 just kind of come alive as he explains his life as a shepherd. Um, And so when you understand if you can relate to it. So, you know, I've had a sheep, I can read sheep are stupid sheep do things. I mean, I have stories to tell Mm -hmm. when there's uh, and, and goats destroy everything. You know, it's, it's you, um, you're reading something in ancient literature. It doesn't gloss over you. I remember that 
as um, one of the difficulties I had um, jumping into the to the great books was that there was just so much information I didn't relate to. And therefore, it was hard to just it was just kind of a fire hydrant type of, you know, washing over me. And I was getting just a tiny bit. And it's an exponential effect. The more you connect and relate to the material, the more it just stays. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, you said it. The <laughs> um, That's exactly right. I was I was um, the opposite side of the spectrum. Um I think it was last year I had a student in one of my uh, upper level literature classes who had just had a lot of life experience doing a lot of really physical things. Uh, she had done a lot of stuff on the farm and she was handy and she just done a lot. And what was bizarre was as we were going through um, ancient literature, she always knew what was going on hmm. in all, the, all of the most difficult places. And it was because her own particular experience was a little bit more like that ancient experience than, hmm. you know, other students who grew up in a world with a lot of social media and a lot of time indoors. And, yeah. um, and a lot of those things that were important to the ancients uh, aren't important to them today. Yeah. And so through a class like, latin you're forced to confront those things um and um particularly when you take time to read a small passage carefully which you just don't do when you're reading um in an english lit class and uh you don't you don't spend a day uh working on a small passage right but um with latin literature in particular it's worth it to actually spend a day working on one passage um and there's a lot you can learn about it, not just about grammar and uh, language, but also just about the way the world works and the way ancient people viewed the world and how they thought. Yeah, yeah. So um, as a bit of a – I want to talk about um, how you teach Latin and why you teach it. So I want to segue to that. And one way to do that is I'd like to ask what is uh, – I know I have one, but what is your um, – what is the worst reason – to learn Latin, in your opinion? I think the worst reason would be to be a show-off. Mm. Um, mm. I think, uh, sadly, um, Latin has come to be um, identified with elitism. Yeah. And um, so I think, in general, if you simply want to study Latin because that's impressive um i don't think it's the best reason and at least in my experience students who have that as their reason don't tend to learn a lot um because uh substance is a whole lot harder than show they're looking for their for their phrase Kind of the party trick, right? Yeah, the pull out in yeah, that's, So that, that's, I, that's probably not the one you were fishing well, for. Well, but the, no, 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 no. That that's that's an excellently bad reason <laughs> to not study reason. <laughs> uh, study Latin. That probably trumps your reason. It, well, um, actually, I don't think it's completely unrelated. So my favorite bad reason to study Latin is to prepare for the SAT or ACT. You know, that's a common one I hear. Right. Um, and actually, I think it's related to what you just said because the reasons that people I, I th- this is a could be its own whole podcast of course but um i think a lot of the reasons people really strive to get a uh for the sat to get that high score on the sat and even some of the reasons they go to school to prepare and orient their education towards the sat and in a certain way um has to do with a certain kind of um uh, wrongly viewed orientation towards education and why they're being educated. So I actually don't think they're completely unrelated. And I think it's true that studying Latin can help you on the SAT. I just think the SAT is uh, dying a, a, uh, I was going to say slow death, but after 2020, a fast death <laughs> and good riddance. So I don't have any strong feelings about the SAT. Sure. <laughs> what, is this, uh, what is this wrong approach to education, this wrong reason for education that you mentioned? Uh, well, so the, the SAT um, is, of course, a uh, has become a, it's an entrance exam for uh, college and has been co-opted toward uh, a, uh, a, a really an indoctrination 
machine for uh, um, uh, uh, the modern utilitarian view of education. So uh, again, that's a large subject that I <laughs> believe we do have a planned podcast for well, at one point. Well, let me just throw this out there. So let's assume that it was a fantastic test. Yeah. Okay. It's a, a true test. We just want to know, are you the sort of person who's cultivated a huge vocabulary and is able of able to solve complex problems? Right. Okay. That was, uh, I believe, the original intention um, of the SAT. Let's just assume it's that. Mm-hmm. Um, would Latin help you get there? Yes. Um, however, if that's all your goal is, is to pass a test, you probably would get better results quicker by simply studying for the test. Mm-hmm. So um, you could – right. You know, if you know, there are courses on how to take the SAT and they know which vocabulary words and you can focus on those, double down on them. Right. Mm-hmm. But keep in mind, what, what was the what was the purpose of the test in the first place? They're trying to figure out a way to find the people right. that they want to be in college. I believe they, they abandoned this, but it was a scholastic aptitude test. Um, and then it no longer came to represent that right. it was meant to measure aptitude and um, actually it had uh, somewhat racist origins and that it was intended to keep colored people who were assumed to have lower intelligence. And so the initial goal of the SAT um, uh, was to keep uh, um, people of lower cognitive ability out of Ivy league schools Wow. <laughs> I did not know that. Yep. It, it's, more uh, you know. it's, it's, uh, uh, I, uh, was asked to write That's a history a of the SAT. Um, <laughs> oh, and wow. I did not expect to find that, but it is well documented. So. Huh. Well, um, yeah, that's sad. <laughs> it, but, rego- uh, uh, but let's the original founder. If we were to take the uh, best possible view, yeah, of it, which apparently say, is it, false, it, it, um, it, it but, did become something more laudable right. than that. I, if it was not that for a long time. But regardless, hmm. if you know what were they really looking for? They wanted a test that was um, uh, to try to get the people with a vocabulary who are well-read and could solve problems. Right. And I guess, what is it you really want for your kids? Do you want them to have the kind of substance that a test is trying to find? Yeah. Or do you want them to do well on the test and dupe them into thinking you have the kind of substance exactly. that the test is trying to find? Because studying to the test is not the same thing as studying the subject and then being tested. Right. And so I would say, if you're interested in um, uh, duping uh, whoever uses the SAT, the college admissions people, right. well, then they're fan- I've got great news. There are fantastic <laughs> courses for you on how to do well on the SAT that won't challenge you nearly as much right. as a, uh, a long Latin course. Um However, if you're interested in being the kind of person or having kids that are the kind of people right. that your college professors want to have in the classroom, exactly. um, then, yeah, I would recommend Latin to you. Exactly. It's, uh, um, uh, it, it, so I want to make a quick aside and plug for the CLT. That wasn't out of nowhere that I knew some of that history because I'm connected to the <laughs> what classic, does CLT stand for? The classic learning test um, as a uh, classic a classic learning test. Yep, okay. CLT. Classical, uh, maybe. Uh, it's it's actually called the classic learning test, oh. and everyone says classical, but it's actually oh, okay. uh, classic learning test that I did. Um, it's it's a we're finding about we're finding it's, out it's about a this question. now. Uh, they they actually debate whether they should have called it classic. Everyone just says classical anyway, but uh, it's called classic. I'm just going to um, call it the CLT. <laughs> CLT. So it is a. Um, a test that a college entrance exam alternative to the SAT ACT that um, um, does what, uh, what you just said, it tests what you've been, the best preparation for the CLT is a lifelong of good, solid classical education. You don't, um, you can prepare for it, but the best preparation is a good, solid classical education. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so it is, uh, it's, uh, they actually are launching a, 
Latin test um, but uh, itself, but it is a, their main test is a, is a test that's obviously in English, uh, but the studying Latin would greatly benefit for you, you on that test. So right. um, my uh, dislike from, for the SAT has been fueled by, as I've gotten to know the CLT, because I'm on the board of academic advisors there. And it's, uh, I highly commend it to anyone who is a student of Latin or a classical student. And the best way to prepare is to get a good solid education. Yeah. I can I can bear witness to that. Um over the last 15 years of teaching at the college level, I used to use the SAT in placing students. Mm. And 15 years ago, it was useful. But I slowly found yeah. that the uh, SAT scores were becoming more and more separated yeah. from um uh, the reality and the yeah. substance. And um, I've had to abandon using the SAT largely. Uh, you for and home. Washington State University as of recently. Really? And uh, okay. yeah, Wazoo just dropped. Uh, they went test optional for this coming fall. Um, so, so yeah, uh, many universities are going test optional because the SAT is just not doing the job it needs to do. So yeah. all the more reason to check out the CLT. <laughs> cltexam.com <laughs> um, so I'd like to transition to um, the um, what have you done in terms of um, this kind of Latin education that, that we're talking about here and uh, I guess before that we should talk about what has been done you know what's uh, maybe a quick history of how people have learned Latin how did they used to learn it how they learned it more recently and then what have you done about it Right. So um, if if we go back to, um, well, for the first thousand, you know, throughout the Middle Ages, mm -hmm. um, people were largely learning Latin by showing up at a monastery and having to speak Latin all day and yeah. um, as well as working through text, copying texts. Um, Don't and that's the mistake or the abbot's going to yeah, get after you. There you go. And <laughs> Uh, exactly. And the, there are actually some really fun remarks written in the margins about abbots. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, anonymous, I'm sure. Very, um, <laughs> the, uh, but that's not so applicable uh, to us today because yeah. we don't want that. Um, <laughs> but if you look really beginning in kind of the reformation era, uh, you've got, this um, this great time where people are learning through speaking and writing the language. They're actually actively using it. Right. They're still speaking it and writing it and learning the grammar formally. Right. Um, and they're reading texts as well. They're kind of doing all of these things where they're reading, writing, speaking, um, and hearing it and understanding it and studying the grammar. And um, so they're really hitting it it's from the every – official language of like official documents – Right. Um, until roughly when did official documents it depends, fall out of Latin? It depends on which language, uh, which country you're okay. in. Um, but, you know, it was uh, 17th century um, for many of them. And uh, I think there were a couple that made it to the, the 18th century. Okay. Um, but uh, regardless, it's about use right. and grammar and reading those things are all put together you have to use the language to communicate you have to study the grammar formally and then you also need to be reading these great texts and that was that was the basis of that um more recently really beginning in the uh, early 20th century eh, late 19th century um the use part of the language really fell out right and you had it became study the grammar, and then there was a problem because you can't really read a language as a language if you don't use it. Right. Um, if you don't, if the language isn't real to you as a communication tool, you can't really read it directly. You have to translate it in order to understand it. Um, and so right. that was kind of the beginning of the grammar translation method, um, which uh, spread 
um, at the late 19th century, um, early 20th century. And there were a couple movements um, uh, back to more of an original uh, balance between use, grammar, and reading. And um, since kind of the rebirth of, of Latin, or at least of learning Latin mm-hmm. in the last uh, 30, 40 years, um, what's happened is you've got this one, um, you've got this uh, tradition of the grammar translation that people think of as the old method. And by old, they mean mm. tw- early 20th century, late 19th century right. um, mm. modernist. Um, right. approach to it. And then there's another movement. It that's, feels classical. It does. Um, <laughs> and, um, but in reality, it's, it's, it's got some classical elements right. that they're pointing to, but it's actually missing some major elements. Use of the language. Right. Are you composing? Are you speaking? And are you reading things directly? Right. And the answer is mostly not. Yeah. Um, uh, so, it, in the last, um, I think it was in the seventies. Um, so another movement, uh, and this was more, uh, I think in foreign languages where it started, but it's called the natural method. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this is in reaction to kind of that formal grammar. And this method rejects grammar largely mm. and, uh, systematics and, and, uh, tries to, uh, encourage people to learn a second language, whether it be Spanish or French or Latin or whatever, simply by total immersion. Um, and so they're focusing on the use side and eventually right. on the reading side and they de-emphasize the grammar. Right. Um, and um, my attitude is I think that we need to have all three of those. Um, and you have examples of people who have learned grammar translation method who have been able to be successful and I think that um, you know, there's just no doubt that there are people that have learned that way. But they're usually really smart people who are able to learn using three mm. of the pathways mm. instead. Uh, sorry, two of the pathways instead of three. Right. As they learned, and, and likewise, and, uh, again, those pathways are are um, use, grammar, and what was the third? Reading. Reading. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So by use, you mean speaking it. Speaking it and and writing it. I mean, there are some traditions where they only write it that I think have been very successful. Mm. Um, But so I'm just saying use. Um, Gotcha. But and and I'd also throw like kind of hearing it, using it as a real language. Right. Um, Um, If I'm thinking about some of the early American founding fathers, I'm not sure that they spoke it, but they certainly wrote it. Um, The you know the entrance exam to Harvard and the yeah. You know, they had to translate in and out of Latin and Greek in as an entrance exam to Harvard. Um, so they're demonstrating the use. But I don't know that if they spoke it, uh, or at least it's not evident through if you're reading the letters. It's They interact with it constantly. They they had to know it to enter, but, um, um, but I don't know that if they spoke it. I think it would have depended. So uh, Queen Elizabeth's tutor, I'm trying to remember his name, Roger Ascombe. I believe um, he wrote a book called the Schoolmaster," um, <laughs> spelled really fun. Um, and in it, he actually, he was really pushing England um, to get away from spoken Latin and to move towards double translation and um, a double translation yeah, is what you just described. Okay. Translation from uh, Latin to English and then translation from English back into the same Latin that you just, but all written, all written. Okay. And the reason his reasoning for that was, um, you know, the kids develop bad habits when you let them speak Latin in the halls. Okay. <laughs> okay. My words, not his, yeah, but close. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, that's what was going on. And, and some people have pointed back to that and say that, you know, you, you know how Latin died. That was one mm. of the, the, the uh, places where Latin began to die was he was so obsessed with preserving the integrity of Latin. He was afraid someone would use it wrong. And so he wanted to control and make it this kind of pure uh, Latin diction. And it's true. When you let people speak in Latin, they say things and, you know, 
if you're a good Latinist, your eye twitches a little bit. You're like, don't, don't, don't say that. Um, but in reality, um, you know, learning is a messy business. Yeah. And I, I, that was a mistake. But regardless, probably what you're describing was in that tradition. Right. Um, I'm sure there are exceptions. But um, back to the natural method, uh, the natural method really throws out grammar. Um, and says, Hey, we're just going to learn this through total immersion. And, um, I, I would be critical of that as well. Um, just as critical in that you are losing one of the very beneficial things about studying Latin in the first place. Can you learn a language by total immersion? Yes, you can. I spoke to my French. Yeah, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, we all learned our first language that way. And I did teach my kids, uh, Latin by total immersion for 10 years, um, very faithfully. And it was uh, successful. Um, but I also had, well, there was one of me and just a couple of them. And I was speaking to him in Latin about everything all the time. <laughs> and, uh, but even so, they, I standard. still, <laughs> okay. My son who I taught Latin to, by just speaking Latin to him for 10 years, I'm now teaching him formally uh, uh, at the college level all the grammar. Yeah. And he's constantly going, oh, now I understand how that concept works. I knew that you said that, but now I know why. Yeah. And actually, the why is one of the major reasons parts of the classical education model. You don't just learn stuff. Right. You need to mm-hmm. learn reasoning. Um, yeah. And mechanics. And so anyway, I would say that the the natural method um, likewise picks two good things and it neglects something that is also good. Right. Um, so what have I done? Um, I uh, What I do, I, I like to call it um, uh, mixed methodology Latin, MML. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, and uh, basically what I mean is I use the grammar, uh, the formal grammar techniques, as well as the total immersion techniques. And I think that they emphasize different things and they complement each other really well. Um, I think that the, uh, the grammar approach really helps students develop a reasoning of the trees, the details, the mechanics, whereas the, um, the uh, uh, usage, speaking it, writing it, um, hearing it, conversation, um, that really helps people understand how to understand reason contextually. Yeah. Um, that's the tree, or sorry, the, uh, the forest level right, reasoning. Right. And, um, and so I think that if you, if you take one of those away, you're actually hamstringing your Latin education. Right. Um, and Pictedict is largely a matter of building tools to assist teachers or parents in offering a well-balanced education because it's actually very difficult to be teaching both the grammar and the immersive sorts of methods simultaneously. What happens is math people all gravitate towards the grammar because they like rules right? and they feel comfortable with rules. Yeah. It's all um, you got the diagram. It's all about the diagram and the process and all those exist in Latin and need to be taught. Right. Um, but they don't, so much like all the vocabulary and the right. examples and the stories and the messiness of actual texts. They would just as soon put it together like a puzzle each time, look up the words. and Well, that's in kind of the best case. A lot of times <laughs> what it turns into is memorizing a chart as a chant on one part of your work- workbook and then yeah. dumping it into another part of your workbook and saying, ah, I'm doing Latin. Um, and, uh, a lot of children have suffered (laughs) as they're, as they're kind of learning that filling out boxes is not a traditional method of, uh, of learning Latin. Right. And, um, so anyway, that's, that's one extreme. And, um, uh, the other extreme is you'll have, uh, particularly in schools, people will, oh, we're only going to speak in Latin. Latina tantum from the very beginning. Mm. Um, and I've done that too. Um, uh, but I found that I got much better results when I mixed English 
discussion of grammar concepts and principles right. with certain times that were set out to be uh, where we have. Now we're going to have a Latin conversation. Yeah. Okay. And you can prepare for it like this and, and we get together. And anyway, I, uh, that's, that's really one way of explaining uh, what I do. And Pictodicta um, is a platform that's really designed to bring a lot of the immersive elements um, to an individual um, in a way that you wouldn't get otherwise. So um, it's really difficult to get enough input to actually get a kid to pick up things by yeah, uh, so I think example. you just used the word pictodicta for the first time in the podcast, but that's a that's a major part of what you've been working on. Can you right. kind of just um, um, what is what pictodicta? is pictodicta? Right. So uh, pictodicta is a uh, web based platform um, that is designed to have students learn digital uh, to to learn ancient languages. Um, yeah. That's what we designed it for. So uh, it allows students to learn vocabulary or practice grammar concepts um, in a way where they're hearing the language, they're seeing illustrations, uh, they're seeing it used. Right. Um, and we do so in a systematic way, emphasizing grammar. So the whole idea is to get those. Um, I, I would say, actually, it emphasizes more of the use and grammar portions um, and the assumption is that it's used in combination with some readings um, to get those three uh, three pathways. Okay, so I think the uh, um, uh, Pictodicta has often been described as more vocabulary-oriented, and yet you just said it's grammar and use-oriented. Can you um, – um, what's the role of vocabulary, uh, especially since it, some of the products are called Vocabulary Builder? Right. Um uh, uh, what's the use? How does vocabulary being used in the Pictodicta program? Right. So um, some of our programs, like Natural World and Ancient World, are just vocabulary, history, culture stuff, and they aren't emphasizing the grammar. Okay. Um, sometimes they'll teach you about the mechanics of words, um, which you could throw into the category of grammar, but it's it's about words. Uh, vocabulary Builder itself uses every word in context in a real Latin sentence and illustrates that. And that is a mm. fantastic way to uh, truly understand how a word nice. works. Yeah, um, and, and therefore, there's grammar being taught um, indirectly. In, correct. Okay. Um, through uh, examples, so they get to use, they get to see hundreds and hundreds of examples of this word used in this case, and so on. Um, and that helps build things out just by practice and repetition, and also they're hearing it. And yeah. particularly for um, younger students, that hearing pathway is just really important for right. remembering things. Yeah. Okay. So the um, it, the the Pictodicta approach, uh, you know, you just described what you're doing um, with with Latin. Um, you know, wanting to hit all three, you know, reading, um, grammar, and use. Um, the what? Um, how uh, how does Pictodicta um, do that from a very practical standpoint, from a product standpoint. Right. So, um, from the, uh, use perspective, um, it is allowing you to see a word used in context, um, over and over again. It forces you to recognize and understand that directly as opposed to translation. So you'll see a scenario, you see a description and you've got to use the right Latin word to make the right thing happen. Right, um, right. That's using the language. Sounds kind of like a game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we call them games and yeah. uh, they're really exercises, but um, they Cleverly are fun. It's sort of like games. a sport. Yeah. You know, um, most of the drills are actually fun, yeah. um, but they have a pedagogical function. They're not, it's not recess. Um so, uh, for example, um, in one of our programs that's coming out um, in a couple months, uh, it's, it's all about endings. It's called declensions. And um, it will give you a sentence, and this, the meaning of the sentence is completely ambiguous from the words themselves. You don't know what's really happening. Mm. You have to focus on those endings. And you proceed to the next screen, and you've got 
six choices of what just happened. Uh, and it has yeah. this magnificent effect on students who tend to just read over a sentence. They won't look at the details. They won't look at the endings. They flip to the next screen, and then they suddenly go, <gasps> there's a there's a camel and a wolf in every single picture, and I don't know what the relationship is between those. And then they go back, yeah. and they start studying the endings. Paying um, attention to right the what's actually the to the verbs and the, <laughs> right well and yeah. using that reasoning so that would be yeah. an example of the of the grammar right. uh, where they're paying attention to that and you know I, one little story from that of a um, uh, a fifth grader who was using this program as a prototype um, uh, after using this for the first time uh, called his dad over and said dad dad come here come here this is why endings matter. And I thought, yes, that <laughs> is, great. you you get it. Um, yeah. So it's trying to create this. So we, that's an example of where we, we put them in a situation where they have to use their endings to survive. Um, when kids do that, isn't that like the arrival? Like it's the best. <laughs> that's, that's what it, I mean. When they're doing that is like, here we yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what you're looking for. And, um, yeah, so uh, in many ways, the games or exercises are designed to put you in a scenario where the only way you can proceed is to use the grammar. Yeah. And, um, and so that's where they learn to use uh, the language as well as, um, you know, learn the mechanics, learn the grammar. And yet you're, they're not memorizing a chant. They're not memorizing a chart. They're not... Um, they're actually using it in the context of pictures right. and context and story and the weird, um, uh, uh, you know, those options you're telling me, you know, you'll, you, some of them will be bizarre because oh, yeah. of course it doesn't make sense. Uh, what's an example of that? You, you've right. told me. So about uh, these. in that program, there's one exercise that I'm particularly fond of um, where it's, um, it's about the direct object and the indirect object mm -hmm. and the picture or the example, it could mean that the man is giving, this guy is giving a man a fish or he's giving the fish a man. Um, and in one picture, you know, he's just handing the guy a fish and yeah. the other picture, it's some pirate kicking some guy off, the, you know, off the plague <laughs> um, and shark, uh, you know, giving down the fish below. a man. <laughs> right. And then you've got the plural involved. And so what ends up happening is um, they see this sentence and naturally English speakers don't pay attention to those endings. Right. And what happens is they suddenly are incentivized. Oh, if I really want to know what has happened here, I need to, to focus yeah. on that. Is, is, who's getting eaten? Yeah, exactly. It matters. It matters. <laughs> right. Who, who's, who's, and so we have some fun examples there. I need there. to go back and read Jonah. <laughs> Which one was it? <laughs> Yeah. Right. And, um, and of course those are, there's just some fun concentrated ways to get yeah. good practice to prepare them for readings. Um, yeah. our, our goal is to get them to read real Latin texts and understand them directly. And, uh, so I guess to kind of to close here, I, I want to ask about that goal a little bit more. Um, you know, we've talked about a lot of the, um, benefits to reading Latin and it's very much involved with what you want out of it. Um, and so that's why it's a complex answer, but, um, the, um, uh, so few people who have studied Latin like modern languages. I mean, if you've taken two years of French, you're probably, you might know how to order a baguette, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the goal of learning to read Latin and really, um, have this deep cultural understanding to the, the, the Roman language and to our own history and culture through it. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a big goal. Um, um, uh, how realistic is it? Can students in 21st century um, uh, America start reading Latin texts um, using this program? And, and have you seen that happen? Right. Um, Yes, they can. Um, awesome. <laughs> uh, but that said, learning Latin. I know that because I walk by New St. Andrews <laughs> on my way to get lunch, and there's a group of students speaking Latin. So yeah. I actually do know it can be done. <laughs> it can be done, and they're reading texts. Um, 
So something that I think people just need to understand is that learning Latin is really difficult. Um, and it's a really worthwhile task, but it is, it's, um, it's a big one. Um, and, uh, if you were to look at all the things that people do, all the, um, say take extreme sports or something like that. Um, there are these cool, amazing things that people do. And there are a lot of people who try them, who don't actually succeed in doing them sort of like me in surfing. (laughs) <laughs> I have tried. Um, I have never successfully surfed a wave. Um, there's people like me who aren't uh, even going to try. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, so there's always going to be a lot of people who try something, find out, oh, wow, this is difficult. The water is really cold. There are sharks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and are, are not going to succeed. But of those that really pursue it, you also have um, – there are different degrees of what you get out of it. I, I, I really do like to think, I know this is a misuse of the parable, but I like to think of um, Latin education, like the parable of the sower. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got the seed, which is Latin education in my usage. Here. <laughs> yes. Um, and some of it, you know, falls on rocky ground. Some of it gets snatched away and um, by other less useful subjects. And, um, but at the, <laughs> Such as, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. I, won't, I won't get you in trouble with other teachers. <laughs> exactly. But, um, f- but at the end of the day, when there is a, a great harvest, you still have that 30 fold, 60 fold and a hundred fold um, getting to the point where you're reading text is a hundred fold. Yeah. Um, it's a hugely beneficial thing and it's, it's fantastic. Or getting someone to the point where they're reading text on their own and they do it for the rest of their life. Right. Okay. That's, that's your hundredfold. But the people who got through some text and went through the exercise, um, and are at that 30 fold, that's still 30 fold. Yeah. Um, and they um, may not be able to read original texts, but they still have skills that will benefit them. Right. Yeah. And when I mentioned, you know, those, those, uh, former students that have been part of a Sunday school, yeah. I, said, I don't think either of those students continued to read, but they could read their Bibles in a way where they mm-hmm. really understood ancient languages, um, yeah. and were asking all the right questions and knew how to handle them. Well, that's not nothing. Yeah. That's great. No, that's um, huge. So, so in other words, um, parents, who are looking at what they've given or are giving their children and are perhaps concerned that they're not achieving that hundredfold should not be discouraged either. If you know, there, there's a, um, there's, I, I, I put myself definitely not in the hundred, not in the 60, I about the 30 myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but I, I feel like I've had an incredible benefit from having the, the Latin and the Greek I've had. not because I can pick up a text and just read it. I would like to get there yet. Um, But because I do have those, those tools of, of uh, understanding what, how it works, what's going on. I can look up a a word and ending um, the, so they shouldn't be discouraged even if they don't get to that um, reading level. And yet you want to see as many as possible reach that hundredfold. Yeah, not not at all. Um, yeah, they shouldn't be discouraged at all. The um, because Latin is so useful for so many things, yeah. you don't really know how it's going to turn out. A couple of years ago, I had a student come to me and say, or a former student come to me and say, "Thank you for launching my career in computer science." <laughs> and I thought, oh. Sure. You're welcome. <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> um, and, you know, he explained and it made a lot of sense. Right. Um, right. His way of thinking, that's the way he thought of it. Right. Um, other students learn to pay attention to details and process for the first time. Um, and uh, and that may you know, take a different form. Right. Um, so there are a lot of different ways that Latin can bear fruit. Um and it's true that that is what we're aiming at, but no one should look at that and say, well, that was a waste of time. Right. Um, I would say if a student learns any discipline, even if they were 
just not built for languages, didn't have the time and everything, but they developed a little bit of discipline and mental toughness by going through it. That's great. Yeah. There's nothing more useful in this world than mental toughness. Right. Um, uh, but obviously uh, there is no ceiling on what you can get from Latin. There, there are great benefits, um, you know, the deeper and further in higher up. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for uh, uh, talking to us about um, Latin and uh, Pictodicta and Cooper. Yes, thank you for joining us, Tim. Thank you for listening to the Degressio podcast. And don't forget to check out Pictodicta on our website or at pictodicta.com. Until next time, read your Bible, read a good book, and keep inheriting the humanities. <laughs>